passage, those passages which were just read to us and help us to take them on board in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever felt like you're missing out on something? Children are highly sensitised to the idea of missing out. Imagine you've got a pack of chips and you're sharing them amongst your kids at home and what child isn't highly sensitised to the fact that their brother or sister may have two or three chips more than what they've been given? Teenagers uh, can be quite attuned to missing out as well, particularly socially. Let me share a sad story about my life. Uh, Year 12, we were all finishing high school and everyone in my year decided that after the last day of school they were all going to go down and celebrate this rite of passage by going down to the Greengate Hotel in Kalara. Now I was the youngest bloke in my year so when we finished school I was 17 years of age and I was also a Christian which made me feel that I needed to be honest and so I was too young to go to the pub. And so pretty well everyone else in my year was going to go down to the pub uh, that night and I knew that I couldn't go. I was very depressed. Uh, my mother in sympathy actually rang up the Greengoat Hotel to ask whether special allowance could be made for her 17 year old 6 foot 4 son but they said they couldn't do it and so I stayed left at home in lonely regret filled isolation. I missed out. <laughs> it does doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. But let me say Mr Phillips that adults uh, can also feel like they've missed out on something as well. I mean, the advertising industry feeds off the idea of missing out. It highlights some inadequacy or perceived inadequacy in our life and then it presents their product as the solution. That's what a lot of ads do. And um, because I know you're all rock music fans from the 60s onwards, um, consider some of the song titles from the last you know, 40 or 50 years. You know, All my friends are getting married with one song implied and I'm not. Um, or you too sung I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Or the Rolling Stones sung, I can't get no... Yeah. Uh, missing out. Now, sometimes this idea of missing out can be found amongst Christians as well. Uh, sometimes, for some, the Christian life can seem a little bit humdrum. Or perhaps we look at others who seem so much more spiritual than we are, or so much more committed than we are, or so much more full-on than we are, or possessing more spiritual gifts, whatever they may be, uh, than we do, or whatever we perceive them to be. Now, certain forms of uh, false teaching, Paul would say, can play, would say, can play on these sorts of feelings. And so over the years, some have suggested that believers, what believers need to do to sort of top themselves up is to, I don't know, go to a particular location, you know, go on some sort of pilgrimage and that'll make the difference. Or do a particular course, you need to go on a meditation retreat and that'll make the difference. Or to have a particular experience, you know, some sort of second blessing, baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues type experience and that will make the difference. Or to undertake a particular regime, you know, saying a prayer over and over, you know, 12 times a day in the morning when you wake up or something like that. You need to do these sorts of things to become a serious, full-on, properly committed Christian. Now, in some senses, wanting more from our Christian life can actually be quite healthy. Uh, we may want to know God better, which is certainly a good thing. Uh, but if we're tempted to look somewhere to someone or something other than Christ when we have these feelings of missing out, I would like to suggest that we're on very dangerous territory. So if we ever have these sort of feelings of missing out, what should we do about them? Or if we want to mature in our faith or push on in Christ, uh, today's passage I hope will be very helpful for us. Well, we're continuing our Term 3 series in the book of Colossians and we're up to chapter 2 verses 6 to 15 and the heading for the sermon this morning is Keep Going in Christ. 
you'll see from the insert and also on the screen uh, that we're going to think about it. Firstly, point one, keep going in Christ with an emphasis on the words keep going. Then, point two, don't get knocked off course. And then point three, keep going in Christ again, but this time the emphasis is on the words in Christ. So let's start off with keep going in Christ, point one. Now the opening verses of this passage, verses 6 to 7, are key to the whole book. In fact, they've even been described as summarising the basic teaching of the whole book of Colossians. So to understand the book of Colossians, we really need to get on top of verses 6 and 7. Let me read them. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Uh, The first thing to note is that becoming a follower of Jesus is not the end, it's only the beginning. Think of perhaps a relationship scenario. Perhaps at some stage you went out a wooing someone and you achieved some surprising level of success such that when you asked them to marry you or when they asked you to marry you there was general agreement and you find yourself one day at the wedding uh, at the front of the church making the various vows. Now can I say in one sense that's an end, it's the end of the courtship but really uh, it's only the beginning isn't it? It's the beginning of something far more important which is the marriage. So when someone becomes a Christian, that is they become a follower of Jesus, they're born again, they repent and believe the good news, um, in one sense it is an end. Uh, There's rejoicing in the kingdom of heaven, they're a new life. But it's not a case of game over when someone becomes a Christian, it's a case of game on. Jesus is our saviour but he's also our Lord. We've promised him a lifetime of commitment to following him. And so we have a lifetime in which to do it. We get going and then the idea is that we keep going. We keep going in Christ. Now when I grew up I really enjoyed reading C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia as I'm sure many of you have read these books as well and if you haven't you need to go out and read them to better understand some of my sermons. But one of the books in the series and I can't remember which one there was some line in it which went along the following lines. It said um, the adventure we expect is not always the adventure we're sent. You know so you expect some sort of adventure but what Aslan may have had for them was quite different to what they may have thought. And that's the way I, one of the ways I've often thought of life. Uh, the adventure that Jesus sends us is not the adventure we always expected. Uh, my life has certainly not gone in the directions I expected it to do when I was much younger. I've been in a constant state of surprise at the twists and turns that have taken place, you know, the ups and downs, the exciting times, the less exciting times, the confusing times, the times of clarity. It's not been quite what I expected, but it's been an adventure. And I've always wanted to stay on board and keep following Jesus. And so for all of us, it's important that, and here's our second point, that we don't get knocked off course. You may recall from last week in chapter 2, verse 4, it's warned us not to be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. And in today's passage in verse 8, it warns us to resist the enticement of false philosophies. Look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. When it talks about philosophy here, it's not talking about some academic university subject. It's really talking about worldviews or ways of thinking. It's warning us not to be enticed away from Christ by unhelpful worldviews or ways of thinking. Now, um, 
it's hard to know what might have been enticing the Colossians potentially away from the Gospel of Christ and what follows, but my idea is that they were probably being, it was being suggested to them that, yes, guys, you Colossians, look, you do have Christ, but you really do need to top it up with something else for a more full Christian experience. Now, um, what might that top up have been? Some have suggested that it might have been, look, you need Christ, but you also need a few Jewish laws to go on top. Or you also need a few Greco-Roman you know, philosophical practices or, or rights to go on top. Uh, they were being urged to do something else to be real Christians. Now, uh, that Greco-Roman philosophy and Jewish laws are probably not a real temptation to most of us today, but there are other sorts of enticements which can entice us, of course, in the 21st century. Um, imagine the following conversation. Someone might say to you, so, is your Christian life everything it should be? And most of us would honestly say, well, you know, no, it's probably not everything it should be. Then the other person might, might say, well, what you need is X. Now, if X is something other than continuing to live in Christ, danger, Will Robinson. We need to be... That's a lost in space analogy. Um, danger, you know... Um, Watch out. Now, what might X be, this extra thing that you need? Well, in the last century, X might have been amongst some Christians the idea of sinless perfectionism, the idea that you could, um, it was possible to completely defeat sin in our lives and live perfect holy lives like Jesus. You needed that to be a real Christian. Well, for some in the 1980s, when I was a uh, 20-year-old, um, X was, look, you really need the second blessing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, someone may not do that, but the idea was that you've got this level of Christian, but you need X to go up to the higher level of Christianity. And uh, I thought this was very unhelpful. Now, that may not be temptations to us today, but for many today, X might be, in effect, what you need for a full experience, spiritual experience, is to abandon Christianity altogether. So, perhaps someone might sort of think, well, X is a compassionate secular humanism. You know, we really should move away from this restrictive, judgmental Christianity and move to a fuller expression of secular humanism where, you know, do what you want to do, be who you want to be, etc. Or some might sort of say, look, Christianity is, is good at some level, but we really need something which is more, more peaceful, uh, more spiritual, you know, like, like Buddhism or something like that. You know, something else is offered as being superior to the experience of being with Christ. But, Paul would write, whatever these, ancient or modern, alternative worldviews offer, Paul highlights in verses 9 to 15, that Christ is better. And he highlights this in a number of respects. Look at verse 9. He says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. This tells us that Christ, the Son of God, is fully God and that we as Christians can have fullness in Christ. Now, people have sometimes sceptically said to Christians, you know, have you ever seen God? To which all of us would honestly have to say, look, no, we have not physically seen God. But we could say, but if I lived in Palestine 2,000 years ago, I would have because he would have seen Jesus in whom the fullness of the deity dwells. Jesus is fully God but we as Christians can be fully in Christ. So it's really quite this sort of a linking up of us with the fullness of God, which is is here. So, 
Christ is fully God, we can be brought to fullness by being in Christ, so the idea is that we won't be missing out if we're with Jesus. And then verses 11 and 12 go on to speak of many things, and I'm just going to highlight one aspect of of them, which is that it highlights the level of fellowship that we have with Christ as Christians. Look at verse 11. In him, that's in Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him, with Christ, in baptism, you were also raised with him, with Christ, through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Did you notice the in Christ, with Christ, by Christ, which featured throughout that passage? It speaks of the closeness of fellowship that we can have with the Son of God, with Christ. Now, looking around, I think you're all Star Wars movie fans and you probably all saw the movie Rogue One with great enthusiasm at the cinema and then on DVD at home. And in Rogue One, which I think is really quite a good movie, there's a character called Chirrut Imwi. I had to look that up. I honestly didn't remember that. But, and uh, he's a goodie. And in lots of these difficult situations in which he finds himself, he says to himself over and over again, I am one with the force and the force is with me. I am one with the force and the force is with me. The force is sort of like the, not like God, I guess you could say. Um, I am one with the force and the force is with me. Now we as Christians, more significantly, and I say more significantly because it's real life, not make-believe, we could remind ourselves, I am in Christ and Christ is with me. I am in Christ and Christ is with me. Uh, That is true for us all the time. Fellowship with Christ. And thirdly, we have freedom through Christ. In verses 13 to 15, speak about this. Speaks of a freedom, a fullness of life, and in verse 13 it says, We're made alive with Christ. We're from spiritual death to spiritual life. Christ also frees us from the tyranny of sin through Christ's sin bearing death on the cross. The cross, that most apparently defeat laden thing, which is in fact uh, the most uh, incredible victory in the history of the human race. Freedom through Christ. So Paul reminds us that it's better to be with Christ because in Christ we have fullness in Christ, fellowship with Christ, freedom through Christ. What more could we want? So isn't that lovely? It's a wonderful doctrine, but what if we don't feel? What if we don't feel like that? What if we think, yes, that's probably true, but I feel like I'm missing out? Well, Paul would say the key is to, point three, keep going in Christ. The emphasis being on in Christ. Let's go back to verses six and seven. The key in this passage is to stay with Christ, to focus on Christ, uh, what he has done for us, what he can do with us in every area of our life. Look at verse six again. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. You've received Christ, continue to live in Christ. We don't look for something other than Christ to add on to Christ uh, to sort of make our spiritual lives feel bigger. Now imagine you discovered the world's greatest gold mine and it was yours. And for a number of years you fossick around in the entrance to this gold mine finding you know, small pieces of gold and it's all really good. But you stay at the entrance to that gold mine year after year and after a while you get a little bit bored with it and you sort of think, oh, I think I need a new adventure. What are you going to do? Well, you could think, I think I might leave this mine and go looking for another mine. Or I might leave mining altogether and go and herd cattle or become an accountant or or, or something like that. 
Or, alternatively, you could think, hold on, here I am at the entrance of the world's greatest mine. Why don't I go down deeper into the mine and discover even richer, greater treasures? Clearly, that would be the better thing to do. That's a metaphor. If we're feeling occasionally a little ho-hum about our Christian life, we don't want to go elsewhere for some comparatively disappointing experience and alternative. Rather, we should seek to continue with Christ, but to go deeper with Christ, to know him better, uh, to serve him as best we can. Now, what might this look like in practice? Let's go to verse 7. This will include, according to verse 7, being rooted and built up in Christ. Rooted is an agricultural metaphor. It's the idea of going deep. Uh, Being built up is a construction metaphor, the idea of going up. The idea is that as we go deeper with something or other, we grow. As we go deeper with Christ, we grow as a Christian. Now, what would going deeper with Christ involve? Well, can I suggest that it's probably not rocket science here. We go deeper with Christ, yes, by knowing his word better, by praying, but then actually by believing uh, the sorts of things that we learn there, uh, stepping out in faith, relying on some of the things that the scriptures may say to us. By living out our faith as Christians, as we grandparent or as we parent or as we work or as we do our hobbies or as we do our Christian ministry, we do these with an awareness of God, Christ, with a reliance on Christ, trusting in Christ, rooted and built up in Christ. Paul then just goes on to describe in verse 7 being strengthened in the faith that you were taught. Now this clearly highlights for us the importance of good Christian teaching, being strengthened in the faith that we were taught. Good Christian teaching, not just understanding it intellectually, but reflecting on it, relying on it, trusting it, applying it, believing it, taking it on board, embracing it, those are the sorts of things which will strengthen us in the faith that we are taught. And where are, of course, many opportunities available to us for that here. You know, church, small groups, reading books, listening to podcasts, etc., etc. Doing Christianity Explained, doing Christianity Applied. And so this, uh, rooted and built up in Christ, being strengthened in the faith, is also accompanied in verse 7 by overflowing with thankfulness as we recognise and are thankful for the work of God in our lives. Do you recognise and are you thankful for the work of God in your lives or do we take it for granted? Uh, I've reflected on a few areas of my life and I can honestly say, and she's not here so I'll, I'll say it quite bluntly, I honestly reflect and am thankful for the work of God in my marriage. I'm so grateful for, my, for Shireen and how our marriage and our relationship is going. I really appreciate it. Also, I sometimes reflect about being part of Anglican Church's Springwood. Not a perfect church, but a jolly good one. And I'm very thankful to God for many of the wonderful things I'm part of and see happening here. But even in other areas of life as well. As I often said, I moved to London when I was 20 years old to try and further a career in cricket. And I tried to go about it as best I could as a 20-year-old in a Christian way. So when I got over there, I was reading my Bible, I was praying, I was reading Christian books... I joined a church and got involved, all souls. Um, I joined a cricket club and then I tried to encourage my Christian friends. I tried to be a good example and to witness to my non-Christian friends at the cricket club and while I was there I did some sightseeing and uh, I thought, well, this is God's creation or example of God-given ingenuity when I was going to art galleries and things like that. Uh, It was very much sort of a (laughs) God-saturated experience for me. And I recall coming home on the plane back in 1986 feeling this overflowing with thankfulness. I'd seen God working in me, 
around me, even through me during that trip. Uh, I think it was overflowing with thankfulness of the line of this way described in verse 7. Uh, all sorts of things can be like that. Now let me tell you what I think some Christians, and perhaps even I myself, sometimes do. We receive Jesus Christ as Lord, we sort of push on with Christ, but perhaps we stall at some point as either spiritual children or, or spiritual adolescents. Now it's good to be a spiritual child or a spiritual adolescent if you're a new Christian or a Christian of a few years. But if we stagnate there uh, for a long period of time, we may get a little dry, like someone who in, right into adulthood is still reading Dr Seuss books or Diary of the Wimpy Kid books, if you know what they are, into adulthood. You know, perhaps we're really ready for something a bit deeper. Now, if we sort of stagnate and don't continue on with Christ meaningfully, sometimes we may feel like we've got a bit flat spiritually. Now, how might we respond to that? Well, we could continue with Christ, going deeper with Christ, being built up in Christ in the way I've described, or we could sort of think, I need my top up through something else. I know what, I'm going to really achieve at work, or I'm going to become the world's greatest grandparent with the most multi-talented grandchildren in existence, or children in existence, or I'm going to get my fix from sport, or from craft, or from Netflix. Now, all of those things I've just described can be all perfectly good, and I like a lot of them particularly, you know, parenting. Uh, but we don't use these things to try and make up for uh, some sort of spiritual dryness. The way to deal with spiritual dryness is to go deeper with Christ. As we go deeper with Christ, we might enjoy these other things, but we don't use them to try and top up our spiritual dryness. Christ is where we go if we're feeling a bit spiritually dry. We need to continue to live our lives in Christ, as this passage says. Let me conclude. There's a story about a man who lived on a farm for many years. He worked the farm year after year after year and then eventually he got a bit bored with it. He longed for a bit of a change and so he thought, I know what I'm going to do, I'm going to sell my farm. So he goes to an estate agent and says, I'd like to sell the farm. The estate agent is thrilled because he thinks, this is an incredibly wonderful farm. Gee, I'm going to get a great commission out of this. So the estate agent goes around and takes photographs of the farm and writes up his little blurb highlighting all the wonderful aspects of the farm. You know, his blurb for the farm says things like, um, you know, beautiful location, lush pastures, bubbling brook, renovated period house, beautiful views of, of, of the coast, etc., etc. And just before the agent puts the pictures and the description onto realestate.com, he goes back to the farmer just to check that he's comfortable with what he's written. The farmer listens to the description, looks at the pictures and says, stop, I'm not selling. This is the place I've been looking for all my life. <laughs> you know, um, he didn't appreciate what he had. Uh, in Christ... All the fullness of God dwells and we've been brought to fullness in Christ. We need to stay there, to dig deeper and to go higher. Now I opened uh, reflecting on the disappointment of missing out. But there is no missing out if we are in and with Christ. We receive Jesus as our Saviour and Lord and then we live with Jesus as our Lord. The big idea of really Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 which I printed out on that sheet. So then... Just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that all of us, uh, it's a wonderful world we live in in many respects, as 
well as being a ruined masterpiece of the world, as we've also heard, uh, particularly in relation to some stories from the Congo. But Lord, as we live in this world, we pray that we would, uh, just as we've received you as our Lord, we'd live with you as our Lord. As we've started, help us to continue uh, digging deeper uh, and, and living for you. We pray that this will be true for each of us, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.